This week's episode of Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways. He's Anthony Smith, lead economist. That's me. Among other <laughs> numerous titles. Uh, and this is Freightonomics, where we bring together that freight market and that mm -hmm. macroeconomic information. And hopefully, you guys walk away from this uh, feeling more informed and better able to approach your days, weeks, you know, whatever it is you're trying to work on and get better at. Uh, we're just going to give you some information. Yeah. We're going to give you I a mean, bunch of information and hopefully you can use it. At the end of the day, what isn't freight or economics? It's all freight or economics. It either goes on the supply chain and the supply chain is economics. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But before we get started and jump into anything, we got to thank our sponsors, Envision Global. So Envision Global is a leading global freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions. With over 4,000 global business partners, Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry-level, industry-leading supply chain information management service solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit EnvisionGlobal.com. I mean, you, you had it down last week. You I had, did. You went through it like smooth. I did. And, it, and, yeah, it and then like, I, I, I gave a shout out to Brooklyn Public Schools for... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were, you were on it last week. The, uh, the ah. Global read was, uh, I mean, it was on point. But It was. Little stutters. I mean, and, you know, your little stutters are kind of... Like, it's kind of the way that we've seen some of our data lately. I, they I kind think of so. They kind of stuttered. We you had know what this, a big one? This big you know, end of the month, end of the quarter, it's normally like kind of a, somewhat of a big deal mm -hmm. in the uh, in the freight market, but it's, it kind of was a fizzly little stutter. One of the big ones, of course, always looking at it, is employment. Employment, it is Thursday. Did, yeah. it, did we get, did we hire some more people? More people got hired. So we have yeah. a few, <laughs> I always looking like, oh, also if I'm looking down, that's because I'm watching LinkedIn as well. So if you're on LinkedIn. Chime in. Chime in. Tell us I about mean, it. If you're not watching on tv.freightways.com, where you should be watching, that's where all our stuff is. But if for any reason you're on LinkedIn, chime in. We'll for sure give you a shout out here. But yeah, we had employment numbers get updated uh, as initial jobless claims go. We saw a tick down. So that was a really good sign because this would have been the fourth consecutive week. So now seeing a downward movement is huge. I mean, it's, I think... Is it huge though? It's good news. Okay. It's not, it's not, it's because it, at this rate, as what it was going last week, it was going to hit maybe 400,000 at some point in time. Right. And it's just like, oh, are we going backwards too much? So seeing okay. it tick down to 326,000, I think was their latest report this week. Um, good news. I mean, with as much, that. with as many employment level issues that we've talked about, I mean, we, we see the employment signs all over the place. Yeah. Like drivers obviously are a huge ask. Um, but like the, the leisure services, the travel industry, all, like you see help wanted signs all over the restaurants. You can't look at a Taco Bell sign without seeing hiring now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why these numbers, I'm kind of like, man, they went up three weeks in a row, like you said, mm -hmm. but there has to be some sort of nuance in that data that is kind of like, oh, but maybe it's some sort of correction, you know, in the way they're reporting it. I don't know. So the other thing that did happen was, of course, those enhanced benefits were re reversed. So those are fading away. Those right. are done. So now the thought is that, hey, now that those enhanced benefits are out, 
people are going to feel a little bit more pushed to get back into the workplace. Other thing is we're looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, continued claims, which also tick down. So those continued claims tick down. Good news there as well, because that's going to be more continuous trend, um, not just a week to week, but like, what are these people doing that have filed for unemployment? Are they continuing to file for unemployment? Right. That moved down, I think, just around 94,000 individuals. So good news there. I'm hoping that this continues, of course. It's going to kind of dictate on COVID variants and different levels, things like that. Levels seem to be subsiding. COVID seems to be calming down. This is all good news. The other big thing, ADP employment report showed that 568,000 non-farm private sector employment jobs were added or people employed. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see the breakdown. And I, and I, I do have a chart or a meme of, of the week here that's sort of related. I guess we can go ahead and, and jump to that. <coughs> If we have the uh, the ability to do that graphic now, but um, <coughs> pardon me, I caught your your cost. What's <laughs> the, going uh, on here? No COVID, I'm good. Test <laughs> uh, <laughs> them. Yeah, you gotta you gotta say it every time. Um, so you know what fascinates me about the employment situation is because, like I said, there's constantly there's an, this need, this growing demand for people to work, and I think the the quick handicap is say, ah, they're not working because the government's giving them money to sit down. But we've seen numerous studies that show that this isn't necessarily the case. Uh, some of the states that, you know, lifted their benefits earlier didn't necessarily see the most return to work. Um, you know, there wasn't a, a tight correlation. There we go. There's our, we, we've got our, our graphic that we can show here. So this was uh, something I found on the internet, <laughs> uh, but the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, correlating uh, quit rates with hourly wages. Yeah. And, and there's, there's some interesting takeaways to me here. Uh, you're looking at leisure and hospitality down there, getting some of the lowest hourly wages, retail trade, and makes sense, the highest quit rates. Because these jobs, uh, you know, the lower the wage, the easier it is to go and find another job of similar pay. It, you know, that makes sense, right? If I'm doing my math right. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not a statistician, but... Uh, and then, of course, the higher up the curve you get, the lower the quit rates become. But there's a few outliers here. Mm -hmm. uh, the professional and business services, their quit rates are still higher than you would expect for their amount of wage. Yeah. Uh, tells me that maybe that job is not necessarily as glamorous or there's a lot of easy transitions. Yeah, and this was one of the talking points I, I had a chance to chat with Michael Vincent today mm -hmm. on for it was now on the shipper update was that looking at employment right now, Money isn't going to be the only thing. Right. So definitely these make sense on the lower side of things. If you can get a new job and it's, you know, relatively minimum wage or just above, it's going to be easier to just kind of transition side into something else. But the big thing that we kind of noticed throughout the pandemic is that money isn't everything. What are those right. benefits? Will I be able to work remotely? Um, what's the child care situation look like if there is something like that? Is there a sign-on bonus? Is there a relocation package? Maybe I've been in the city for five, 10 years I didn't want to be in. Now I can now work remotely and chase my dream. I want to always live in, I don't know, um, Manchester, New Hampshire for some right. reason, or or Portland, Maine, or Worcester, Massachusetts. And so you never were able to get there because you were stuck, I don't know, in uh, say Yuma, Arizona, but now this opportunity pops up and you can do that. So these are some of the that's fantastic. Like that, that almost, to me, I look at this graphic and I'm like, that explains a lot because you're looking at professional and business services and information. So IT, 
these things can easily be done remotely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that that to me shows me that that you just you just explain this chart yeah. <laughs> in your two sentences <laughs> that that we're seeing remote life really influence some of these quit rates at some sure. of these positions. Um so because they 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 have more opportunity. More opportunity, <laughs> for sure. And and the that's one of the things I love about the freight industry, for example, for truck drivers. I love that they have that that I'm sure carriers hate it. Right. <laughs> carriers hate it, absolutely. Um, because, you know, hey, we have retention levels under 95%. Whoa, you know, but drivers that can just kind of, you know, switch hats and just say, like, hey, I'm going over here, I'm going over here, I'm going over here. I think that's good for them just because they need that optionality at that level. So if right. we amplify this across the country, if anyone can just on a drop of a dime find something else, that's kind of what we saw earlier on in the pandemic. Is, right. Switching new jobs were just was just so easy. I think that's gonna things move in trends. So this is not gonna last forever for sure. Right. It's gonna become an employer's market eventually. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this this week. Maybe not next week. Maybe not next month. <laughs> but eventually, it's gonna become an employer's market where there's gonna be more people that are hire or looking for jobs and are hiring. I mean, that's just the way these things tend to go. Sure. Well, we're in the opposite of that cycle at this for point, sure. right? Um, yeah, but I think it, it makes sense uh, now that you've explained that. You see a lot of places that require physical presence down there in the lower end and the places that don't. Upper end, also very mobile. Sure. Um, very good stuff there. So uh, the overall freight market itself uh, is struggling to get enough people in it. Yeah. <laughs> we have not had the employment surge there. Um, you know, And that's one of the limiting reasons that we're seeing capacity struggle to, to uh, expand. Uh, I want to pull up... Uh, our outbound tender rejection index, along with our OTVI, our tender volume index, real quick here, just to kind of level set everything, because right now we're entering, we're going into peak season. We've got all this huge demand flowing through the country. OTVI there in the green uh, remains as consistent as you can expect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no lulls, really. We saw a little hiccup there, a little stutter uh, towards the end of the month of September, uh, where we jumped up. And now we've kind of come back down a little bit slightly. We got tender rejection rates still above 21%. Doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, the trends appear to be horizontal, if anything, over the last two months. Um, and then I want to pull up another chart. And this is going to segue us into uh, some of our stories and really the overall topic of today's show, which mm-hmm. is going to be uh, where the port congestion, can it be fixed? And is it is it really the biggest problem to solve at this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, So I want to pull up the uh, ocean demand uh, chart next. So this is our IOTI. We showed it on uh, Freightways Now this morning. This is bookings uh, for freight that's moving across the country or across the globe into the United States right now. It's got like a 60 to 70 day lead time uh, from origin, like leaving the origin to the final destination. Yeah. And that's because we have huge delays in the middle of this (laughs) from origin to destination. And this looking at this chart, we still see demand, they're still placing orders. They're not gonna get here for another 30 days. And then they're not gonna get moved, final to their destination for like another 40 days after that. So you're talking so December. Here in the next few weeks, we're gonna cross that boundary mm-hmm. where you don't, you can't get that freight in time for Christmas. Right. We're already seeing, if you look at the very edge of that chart, there's a big dip in that IOTI. Uh, and I don't know, one day does not a trend make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, people may not have just or- booked their freight yet, but it looks like things may have shifted or started their shift transition knowing it's not going to get here. Yeah. 
And that to me is, is I'm, I'm waiting for that. If you look all the way back to last year, things settled down tremendously going into November, December, and then all of a sudden, whoops, <laughs> yeah, we turned back around because consumer demand remained elevated. And of course, the Texas freeze, shipper panic mode, et cetera, we haven't recovered since. So this to me tells me in the near term, next three months, locked and loaded. Yeah. <laughs> We're all ready to go. So I have an interesting <laughs> thought here. I think it's interesting as well, at okay. least, but maybe some of you can chime in here on LinkedIn. So Zach, your thoughts. There aren't going to be, or maybe their deals aren't going to be as appealing for Black Friday and all these holiday shopping days because there's no need to make these deals appealing. Right. They can price it at whatever they want and it's going to get sold. And so I'm thinking when we're looking at Cyber Monday, Black Friday, mm -hmm. was it Black Friday? Black Friday. It's been a while. It's been a yeah, while since I've been Black able Friday. to celebrate. So <laughs> the great <laughs> American consumer holiday. <laughs> yeah. So all these holidays there's not going to be as much incentive to price things competitively because consumers are willing to pay for anything. They just want the thing. So getting it in the store is going to be the big struggle for a lot of these shippers, a lot of these uh, stores, these retailers. And so if that's the case, do you think we're going to see less incentives or maybe even worse deals this year? <laughs> I think we've already seen the majority of the deals. I mean, we had Amazon Prime Day in June. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's because they knew that things were going to be so haywire right. in the fall. You don't need to do this. Like yeah. they, and you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. They won't need to price things, you know, the way that they do. And one of the interesting aspects of all this, and we're going to get into this with some of our stories of the day, um, is that. Retailers are prioritizing higher priced items this year because the transportation costs are so high. Um, and that's, that's something that I, I, you know, I, I find fascinating because that what they're having trouble, trouble getting on the shelves are those lower ticket items, which mm -hmm. Black Friday, Cyber Monday specializes in. They yeah. make these products specifically for those days. And you're telling me that that's where they're, that's not the stuff getting on the boats right now because it costs too much stuff, too much money much stuff <laughs> too much money to put them on the boats they don't they don't make up for it in terms of revenue yeah um and i think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch uh to your point here moving forward in the next uh you know coming months as we hit the holidays well let's go ahead and hit some of these stories of the day real let's quick do it. This news news economics. yes news economics that's what we called it <laughs> uh so most of these revolve around this ocean transportation backlog etc all the problems going along with it because that's just really i mean it's the time of year uh the first one up <laughs> and and greg miller writes this one this one was just fascinating to me because nobody really said hey this is a thing um, except this is the only article that I saw. <laughs> Ship at anchor off California ports may have caused major oil spill. If, you've, if you haven't been seeing this, there's a, a pipeline uh, out in California got torn uh, and it was dragged like 100 feet. But it had like a, a some sort of like small nine inch tear. <laughs> it was dragged 100 feet, but it had a nine inch or some sort of small tear. And, and I 16 inch uh, steel pipeline. <laughs> Uh, and it looks a lot like something an anchor would do. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, nobody's confirmed this. This is not, you know, this is certainly not a fact at this point, but very unusual for it to be moved 105 feet <laughs> across the ocean. And San Pedro Bay, it's been, uh, what, 74 boats yeah. out there. There's not a lot of room. Yeah. These boats are huge. This isn't like a... <laughs> Uh, you know, everything kind of lines up to paint this picture to where it like, yeah, this is probably what happened unwittingly. Yeah. Nobody knew it was there. Does this slow things down a little bit more? 
And the idea of the story is that it's probably not going to. Okay. I mean, the boats tore the pipeline and moved on. Okay. okay. <laughs> and they, they're out there just kind of like trying to contain the spill. And yeah. hopefully that gets cleaned up quickly. You know, obviously the beachgoers out there are not, not having a great time, but it's California. The weather's fine. Um, <laughs> you'll have, you'll have December, uh, to go to the beach more than likely, but yeah, it, it doesn't appear to be, um, affecting any of the flows, but he goes on to state that the wait time to get from anchor to birth at the port of Los Angeles right now, 10.7 days and all time high. That's nuts. <laughs> you That's got, nuts. You got to sit out there at anchor at 11 days before you get unloaded. Uh, so yeah, the place is congested. The spill ironically didn't change anything cause anything yeah no okay. no <laughs> okay that was my thoughts like is the containment area going to be wide enough or big enough for it that to like slow things it's, down it's huge it's yeah. the entire area yeah like if you look at the map it's the entire area but it didn't disrupt the boat so nothing to worry about there from a shipping perspective however environmentally not so great hear about that thing which we do we do we absolutely do you all we all should um so the next one, uh, holiday season in peril. Disruptions could leave shoppers, retailers disappointed. Uh, recent Parcel Lab survey found that 50% of consumers plan to have their 2021 holiday shopping completed by Cyber Monday. Amazing. That day that you're sitting there worried about. It looks like, <laughs> and, the, and the gist of this article, because we need to make sure that we get through some of these, is that everybody's pulling forward. Like shippers, consumers, everybody has pre-ordered freight. They're trying to get their goods early this year. Now, yeah, there, that doesn't mean that there's not people that aren't going to go out on Christmas Eve and buy stuff. It just means that more people have moved their shopping activity ahead of time, ahead of schedule than before. Um, one of the biggest numbers and takes, takeaways of this, in my mind, Anthony, and this is you know, reported down the, down the article there, uh, merchants have significant capital tied up in inventory sitting at the ports right now, said Steve Denton, CEO of where to go noting that 44.4% of mer merchants ordered more inventory than usual this year. Are we going to have a huge January discount fire <laughs> sale like we had last year? So this is interesting. I was chatting with Kaylee Nix, mm -hmm. um, the woman with many talents just yesterday at during ocean waves. Ooh. Uh, she she's able to do co-host, host, produce, weather, meteorology. Amazing, amazing person. I haven't met her. I don't yet. know if you've ever seen her. Or met no, her. so her she yet. but she works here. She's great. Okay. And so one of the things she was talking about is thrift mm -hmm. and secondhand stores. And my mind went to will the upcoming year or really seasons for thrifting. I don't know if thrifting mm -hmm. is just the year-round thing for sure. I'm sure it is, but the quality of goods have to be going through the roof for secondhand goods because. Right. If people have just been buying, 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 new electronics on new electronics, new clothes on top of clothes, you're clearing stuff out, that's pushing the, I think, the, the life cycle forward a little bit. Now you're, you're pushing these things out. Secondhand stores are going to get these influx of probably higher quality goods or newer goods. And so I'm thinking maybe some of these, like you said, some crazy discounts come January, February, and some of these secondhand stores or wholesalers really going to yeah. be eating it up. Well, the inventory costs, we talked about them. They're going yeah. through the roof. The, the warehousing costs are so high. Uh, you know, if you don't make your inventory level or you, you don't get your Christmas uh, holiday specials in, January, February may become the new Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? And that means, of course, extended peak season activity. Stuff goes into 2022 out, in, a, in a time of the year where we don't normally see uh, a lot of that 
action occurring. So, Real quick shout out. I have Matthew Mugger here. He is um, co-founder at Flow Co. Cold Frigid, saying that he first time on here, but he's out of uh, LA and that he's dealing with the crazy port congestion, but also nationwide. Demerge and per diem is par for course. And so he's seeing it out there. Matthew, we're probably going to have to try to get you on here mm -hmm. at some point in time to hear more about that because Tell us about uh, it. yeah, we're going to hear about that Demerge. Now, the last story that we have here, uh, this one's fascinating to me. This is, this is more political. Uh, I don't want to get into that because I'm hate, all for it. I hate politics in general. <laughs> uh, I would rather talk scientific facts. Um, <laughs> but uh, it does talk about the tariff situation. So industry groups say ending China tariffs would offset supply chain pain. Now, you and I have both talked about how tariffs, we're not really certain that they're very effective at doing anything yeah. other than raising prices. <laughs> Um, and these industry groups have gotten together, uh, specifically, um, you know, the apparel industry uh, is chiming in saying, hey, you know, and, and this makes sense, too, because the apparel is very low cost, low revenue, low cost per item mm -hmm. compared to like the electronics industry, the stuff that we normally think about at Christmas. So they can't afford to ship a lot of their freight. Yeah. They're not going to make enough money yeah. on, the, on the goods to make up for the freight costs. So they're obviously lobbying to get a lower, you know, some sort of relief. And the tariffs, they go on to state, are basically, uh, they are raising prices for Americans and are ineffective at chaining, changing China's behavior. I think we can all agree that China's behavior isn't helping us out greatly yeah. <laughs> uh, on the economic side. However, American companies have sourced a lot of their goods in China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's on us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not on them. That's on us. Uh, and, but point being, we are stuck in this infrastructure for the time being, and tariffs may not do much. So maybe like say, hey, let's take a breather on these tariffs. Let some of this good these goods flow in, mm -hmm. and get it'll it'll help ease. I don't know if I buy that or not. What are your thoughts? So it would be great if we can let some of these goods in and ease some of the what's going on, but it just sounds like there's so much congestion for sure. So like even if they come in, they're going to be at the the ports for so long. They're going to be waiting for a while, and that's going to be a whole issue in and of itself. With tariffs in general, such an economic inefficiency. I don't like them. I don't. Want them. <laughs> and I understand where where you know the mindset is is like you know a, a protective measure to really make sure your domestic production or your domestic industry is insulated from all these outside forces, but it's an inefficiency. And typically, everyone loses for from <laughs> some point, some some extent for, for some reason. So we're looking at tariffs. I don't like them. I, I hate them. And so, of course, I would want to see these uh, relieved and just goods flowing. But then we have to get into those other issues of the supply chain of, okay, goods are flowing, but now it can't, it has to wait so long for it to get to the final consumer. I have this wild ish idea. Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. Might be a bit of a hot take. <laughs> but, you know, I'm always watching inflation. And uh, one of the great points that I think you had on here not too long ago was, of course, what is the big thing to kind of like peel back to um, really alleviate what's going on here? Because demand is so high. One of the great points you made is if demand just kind of cooled off a little bit, maybe we can kind of get some of the stuff flowing, get caught up in a sense. If there was enough inflation and no one bought anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you see what I'm going with. This. Yeah. No one bought anything. That would be enough of a deterrent for us to get caught up. I'm I, not saying let hyperinflation just take hold, but I'm just saying, <laughs> in a sense, if, if no one just bought anything for like a week or two, maybe that would help kind of move things along. I'm, well, they outside of the, you know. They, they sort of stopped. 
for a while. Yan, Porter Yan Shan shut down, mm-hmm. um, and and we're gonna get to our guest here in just a minute, yeah. CEO of Powerfleet, Chris Wolf, to get some of his insight on this. This guy knows <laughs> everything about everything. Yeah, <laughs> I've never asked him a question that he hasn't had a solid answer to, uh, because he deals in information. One of my favorite things. Yes, not politics. Facts. Um, and uh, you know, and to me, like we had this kind of breather, and things did get caught up sort of, but it didn't change any of the prices. Any like we were we're so backlogged at this point, Anthony, that it you we literally had no idea that it happened, except if you were you know, somebody that was looking out in San Pedro Bay. Mm-hmm. That was it. That's the only place you could have told, told me there was a difference because there was so backlogged. Dock workers didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were still, they were still busy as, as all get out. So with that, let's bring on uh, Chris Wolf, Powerfleet CEO. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for coming out today. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, good time. I was listening in. So. Yeah. So, I, I mean... You. I, I got I, I think I got to lead off with this. If you've, uh, I don't know if you've read this article yet or not, but uh, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, I know tariffs aren't necessarily your your forte, but I know you've got a plethora of information there just to lead things off. Do you have any thoughts or inclination that tariffs are making a big difference or would make a big difference at the port congestion level uh, if we were to kind of ease them up a little bit? It would make a big difference right now at the port congestion level, but it would make a big difference on things like chassis availability. You know, steel right now is a big issue, getting containers built, uh, getting chassis built. Uh, A lot of people who are building chassis right now are looking at, you know, sourcing out of Mexico and other places because, you know, they just can't get them cost effectively. First of all, they can't get them built cost effectively because of tariffs in China, and then they can't get them here, right? So that's kind of a two-punch problem going on. But I think tariffs, like in the electronics area, you know, semiconductors, uh, subcomponents, you know, all those right now, they're not helping the situation at all. Uh, you know, we need to free up the system so that, uh, you know, those of us who build technology, actually automotive companies, forklifts, uh, you name it. I mean, the whole, anything that right now is, almost everything is computerized. And uh, so it's, again, we need to make sure that the flow of semiconductors and electronic components is uh, flowing smoothly. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, these these tariffs were created in an era where we had too much yeah. supply, and now we've gone into an area of not enough supply. So yeah, they're a little counter right. counterproductive from that point. Great points on that. And I forgot, the article definitely calls out uh, the chassis shortage issue uh, inside of it. Yeah. So definitely uh, a big point of contention there. So let's move on mm-hmm. uh, to uh, the point of this discussion. We're going to solve the port congestion issue today, Chris Wolf. (laughs) We're we're just going to tell everybody how to do it. (laughs) So, so step one, uh, what, what is it that you think you target first off at the port level to get this stuff started to free up a little bit more in our containers off the boats, onto the trucks, rails, whatever it is, and out of the area? Well, there's, probably a hundred different problems that we have and they're all coming to uh, roost all at the same time, you know, just because our system was built very specialized and I'd almost say serialized and optimized, right? So you think about just in time, rapid replenishment and all that, but you think about all these common pieces of infrastructure, like a ship, like a port, uh, et cetera. But within there, everything is serialized. Walmart has their own uh, supply chain running through that infrastructure. Uh, Amazon does, you know, everybody you know, target, et cetera. And it's, it's not really optimized to take advantage of, you know, the whole flow of goods, uh, regardless of who the end customer is. 
Uh, that all being said, if you said, okay, what's the number one choke point? It's, hey, how do you get containers off ships? First of all, the containers coming into the port, I just read this the other day, you know, they're coming in, you know, they used to be 50% uh, TUs uh, loaded. Now there are 7,000 containers plus on every given ship coming in. So now your cranes don't have the capacity to offload, even if, you know, <laughs> again, if the boats come in and they have, you know, 70% more containers on them, uh, you just can't get them offloaded fast enough. But what that's going to drive, you know, it's like whack-a-mole is going to be chassis, you know, because you can't, you know, it doesn't matter if you get a container off a ship, you got to put it somewhere, right. right? And so it really comes down to, and this is something that's been woefully under uh, you know, automated, you know, undermanaged, undermonitored. Uh, there's some large companies we're working with uh, that are trying to get their handle, uh, you know, hands around this. And by, by the way, all through COVID, we we did extensive research and development at the Port of Virginia. We just rolled out our products uh, in Q1 and Q2. What those products allow a, a chassis operator or a lease order to do is number one: Hey, is there a container on me or not? Phenomenally valuable piece of information. Sounds easy. It's not. Number two: Is the container loaded or not? Now that's actually more complicated to do. But if you have those two key pieces of information, guess what the chassis lease order or fleet manager can do? <laughs> they can basically call the shipper and say, "Hey, or the constantly or the warehouse and say, "Hey, get my." You know the container offloaded or unloaded so that I can get the chassis back to the port to bring the empty back. And uh, again, this has just been an area of uh, telemetry uh, deployment that's been just woefully, uh, you know, just under implemented in, in the past few years. But again, there's companies moving on it. The question is how fast they can move on it. That's the big point there, and that's that. That really led into I think another question I had is building out infrastructure. Can it be done fast enough or can it be done meaningfully enough to really address what we're seeing right now? It, it's interesting, like the infrastructure bill that's in, you know, like trying to get through Congress and it's being held up. It's, you know, first of all, we just need to get that done. But that's <laughs> years, years and time that'll take that actually have an impact. I mean, I, I think you guys, you might have even talked about it, but the BNSF and UP shut down uh, inbound containers going into Chicago because they had a backlog. Right. Yep. You know, because you can grab the containers off of L.A. and, you know, we're going to ship them to the inland, uh, you know, basically in, inland distribution center. Right. And they, when they shut that down, it just backed it all up. You know, it's like back, backed up plumbing. Uh, <laughs> so, again, I think and then you have to say, OK, can we shift it again to the road? And it all gets to visibility of your uh, what I call the interchange assets and drayage operations, right? You have to be able to shuttle those containers in and out, get them into the inland empire, you know, where you actually have room and you have highway systems to, to move them uh, more efficiently. And and I think the key there, by the way, you could use, you know, internally, you could use the National Guard. You know, you, you, know, you, you could actually use the National Defense Act, you know, Production Act and say, hey, you know, is, is it a driver shortage issue? You know, we have drivers that drove all over Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, they can come and help drive chassis and containers out and get them out of the port. But then you have to have longshoremen to actually help right. you know, get them offloaded, right? So we can probably I, pull, I do think, you know, go ahead. We could probably pull a few people. There's probably some available there that we could pull. I like, I love your idea <laughs> though. Like pull the, uh, the National Guard into the, into the fold. Yeah. That's a great idea. Or veterans. I mean, that's a great veterans opportunity right now. You know, just you know, put them to work. I mean, and just say you got to pay them well. And right now is the time is not to worry about you know like what you're paying people. You know, especially when you're talking about the global economy and our economy. You know, it, it depends on getting these goods moved. 
Yeah, I, 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 w- I want to go back uh, for a second here to the, you, you were talking about the chassis visibility, uh, basically, and container visibility issue that we still haven't figured out uh, in mass. <laughs> and I, I, I think you're make, like, it's such a simple solution. Like, know where you're, yeah, and you would think that in 2021, we would have already kind of figured this out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but I guess, uh, you know, my question to you is, what is limiting us from just having these mass rollouts to where we can get some of this technological implementation to help us kind of gain these efficiencies? Uh, because we're doing so much manual work still uh, that we're not, we're just not capable of flexing on at this point. What are, what are some of the holdups there? I think the holdup initially was you know, just the value of a chassis itself, I and mean, it was kind of undervalued, right? I, mean, I just, you know, you, if you look at the price of a uh, of a chassis, hey, I might as well have five of them versus one. You know, it's just not an incremental cost until you understand that that chassis is pulling a container, and that container might have, you know, what two hundred fifty thousand, maybe five hundred thousand dollars worth of goods on it. So all of a sudden, then the value of the chassis becomes exponentially greater. Uh, so the technology that can be applied, by the way, that gets into like 5G, BLE, battery technology, it's all coming down to value to price and now enables you to say, why not track it? <laughs> you know, it's like, why not track it? Why not know the status? And by the way, just knowing the status is not as easy. Uh, we've, we've been working on this for years. Uh, we have a specialty in chassis management and, ch- and chassis optimization. And, you know, because you know, first of all, it's in a really crappy environment, right? It's underneath a container. It's like, it's probably the most dirtiest place when you're going to try and track something. But we were actually able to determine whether or not a container is on a, a on a chassis just by a signal attenuation. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that just means, hey, I get GPS signals or cellular signals. And when I kind of cover it up with a tin box, you know, it changes. And just based right. on that change, uh, it's more sophisticated than that. But, you know, we can actually say that there's a chassis on me or not. And but by the way, is, is the container there's a container on me or not. But that doesn't tell me if the container is loaded or not. And that we've been working on very extensively because that really requires us to actually measure the flex of the axle itself. And uh, so we did a lot of work on that. And uh, we're we just started deploying that in volume. We've, we've already shipped over 2000 that are actually in uh big field trials going on on the West Coast, actually. Well, Chris, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. Um, one of the things that we've seen throughout COVID, of course, is this huge spike in demand. Curious from to hear from you, do you think this demand is sustainable? So there, of course, are going to be trends that are going to be pushing on throughout um, you know, years to come, whether it's going to be continued or, or more and more e-commerce sales and things like that. But do you think what we're seeing right now in the current demand uh, scene, is that going to be sustainable? and meaningful as we move forward. It's kind of interesting right now, there's a lot of hoarding going on, right? In another, from electric parts to even cars, right? You can't get new cars, so the price of cars goes up. You said it earlier, I think, you know, once you know inflation hits a certain point and the prices hit a certain point, things will cool down and maybe that's what needs to happen. Uh, I do think our distribution models and even consumer uh, purchasing has totally changed, right? With COVID, you know, there's a lot more at home. So in other words, it's a lot more uh, boxes versus uh, pallets in the system. So if you think about that, individualized shipments, a container, you know, if you could be palletized if it's going to a warehouse, but if the ultimate end game is it's going to get offloaded and go to, you know, 50 homes, you know, it's a little bit different puzzle to fix, right? You need different material handling equipment, you need different people offloading it. 
And so I do think the entire system's kind of having a shakeout, but I do think what's exacerbating it, besides all the infrastructure problems, is this hoarding. Uh, it's like, remember in COVID early days, it was, you know, I can't get I can't get toilet paper and paper towels. I think right now it's like, even my company, we're doing that. We, you know, we're buying uh, whatever we can get our hands on when it comes to technology you know, that we need, you know, because we don't know if it's going to be there and we have product to build. So it's, it's kind of this self-generating shortage uh, type of situation. But I do think it's going to work its way through the system. Just an interesting factoid, uh, forklifts. You know, we, we put telemetry products on forklifts, which are used throughout the logistics industry. Uh, delivery of forklifts went from like 14 weeks to 36. Now it's over almost a year wait to get a forklift. And uh, guess what the big holdup right now in production is? Counterbalance weights. You guess where they are? They're on container ships waiting off the port of Los Angeles. So you can't build a forklift without a counterbalance weight. Interesting. I, I mean, just everything that you can imagine that you, you need. Like everybody's thinking about where's my TV or you know Xbox or whatever their Christmas items, but it's it's really more pervasive than I guess the common uh, you know person that's outside of the space knows is that we've got all this backlog in manufacturing production sitting there being held up now that which brings me to my next question which is what so we get through this holiday season all the big attentions around peak season for the you know for at least for you know our industry and transportation but what what do you think the fallout is after we get through this peak season last year we saw kind of this systematic easing because everybody like in to your point uh people kind of stopped hoarding that mentality kind of it almost looked like shippers kind of eased their their minds a little bit, thinking, oh, we're going to go back, COVID's going to ease, uh, yada, yada. Then all of a sudden, that went away. Consumer demand was as high in January as it was in December, actually more than December. And then this big winter weather event that somehow panicked everybody into shipping again uh, came, th- came through, and we've not recovered since. What, what do you think is going to happen once we get through this holiday season that's uh, do you think there's going to be any kind of systematic changes or do you think we're going to still continue to dig out of this hole? I think what's going to keep the hole kind of going at its current pace for at least, I'd say, six months is the fact that you're still having COVID shutdowns in the chain of events, right? So whether it's the raw materials or manufacturers in uh, Vietnam or Malaysia, you know, which then feed plants in Taiwan or China, and it's like, and by the way, then the port shut down for a week or two you know, because of a COVID you know, outbreak. Uh, until you know they do wide scale, like right now, the United States is you know helping vac- you know, vaccinate uh, different parts of the world. I mean, uh, if I was in charge, I'd be saying, hey, we need to prioritize shipping our vaccine <laughs> vaccines to places that could help the whole supply chain and help our economy first, right? I mean, you know, obviously, right. you know, you want to be good to as many people as you possibly can. But I think we could just be, hey, let's target some things so we can help the overall global economy. Uh, that being said, as I do think uh, there are some plants coming back online that I know of, that is spe- specifically like in the semiconductor and the electronics parts area that uh, will ease some uh, pain. Some founders are coming online uh, that'll that'll also help. And again, once once that breaks free, whether it's uh, electronic parts or even you know other steel or chassis or whatever, once it breaks free, then the hoarding stops. Getting to the point of toilet paper and. <laughs> You know, right. COVID, you know, the initial COVID. When that stops, guess what happens? A lot of things go back on the aftermarket. I heard you talking about, you know, clothes going into, you know, secondary shops. 
you know, the same thing's going to happen and it happens in electronics, you know, people who hoard it, it's like, Hey, I, I, if I know I can get it cheap, you know, and I, I can sell my inventory and that that'll happen. And so that's kind of what we're looking at is sometime in the end of Q1, uh, when, you know, like some of these things kind of ease up a tad and maybe the, the demand slows, then all of a sudden it'll, it'll break free. And when it breaks free, it's going to all of a sudden, you're going to see this rush of, Hey, I don't need to keep all that toilet paper anymore. I can sell some. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, that, I think that's a great point. It's not just this segment. It's going to be all over the place. I mean, especially within these, I was you talking about electronics. Um, one of the things I also had on my mind is the influx of technology, all these freight tech. You're a man of technology. I love you in what you are doing over at Powerfleet. But I'm, I'm curious because when we see these, these pump-ups and, and these popular trends happening within freight and freight transportation, freight tech, it seems like all these technological solutions start to kind of pop up and, and really kind of uh, make their way onto the scene. Then freight kind of dies down a little bit, and then we'd see some of them fall by the wayside. Are there any innovations that you're seeing right now that you see, okay, this was really pivotal in the midst of COVID, and this is something that's going to be long-lasting. This is a technological trend that's going to be here to stay. Yeah, I would say the use of uh, sensor data across the board. And by that, I don't mean just, you know, temperature shock vibe, you know, those kind of sensors. I mean, like image processing. You know, if you think about the human senses, it's now that the technology enables it. And, you know, a lot of different companies, ourselves included, you know, we we specialize in sensors that can really change business. I, I was mentioning the weight on axle sensor that we've been working on for over a year and a half, the container on a chassis or not, but, you know, you could take it to our freight camera. And once you start, once we show customers and prospects what they can see in an image, and you can take that against machine learning and, you know, things like getting in and out of the port, what's the right, what chassis is connected to the right container to the right tractor, you know? So, and by the way, all three of those could have different owners. And that's kind of gets to our problem too, right? Who's, who's asked, who owns the asset, who owns the freight? And, you know, do we have a, a, a clearinghouse and do we have surge potential in the future where we can rush um, resources uh, to choke points? And I, I think the technology will enable us to do that ultimately. And, you know, companies have pieces, parts. You know, right now, I don't really see, an or, uh, you know, somebody leading the orchestra. <laughs> so it's, it's like, you know, I think I read some one of the articles. It was like there's a lot of uh, first seat violinists. You know, but we need to get somebody actually ever once so leading the whole process, especially when it comes to, you know, COVID-19 situations or any other major disaster or disruption. And I do think you're going to start seeing people, you know, source locally, you know, start looking at that in a big way because you have to have fallback options. So, you know, sort of on the same page here, uh, you know, technology, obviously that, you know, everybody wants to solve the problems at hand and, if the problems go away, they kind of drop some things to the wayside. Now, that in itself, to me, is actually a problem <laughs> because there's a lot of unfinished uh, work and there's there's all sorts of things. People like, well, it's it's not in my immediate line of sight. I'll wait to solve that problem. Now I've got a new one. What what are some of the ways that you know, at least with what you've seen with technology, like to have a long term impact? I mean, I think technology needs to be able to you know replace action. Like it needs to be automated. It needs to be very uh, clean in the way that it replaces, you know, somebody's activity. And it's somewhat flexible in itself to where you don't have to worry about this 
problem reemerging years later down the road, et cetera. What are some of the ways that, you know, what we're working on right now in terms of, especially with you guys uh, at Powerfleet, what are y'all working on right now that you see as having an immediate impact uh, that can actually help kind of buffer the industry from these ups and these wild swings, these ups and downs, um, where you know, okay, in periods of high demand, it's going to be effective, and it's also going to help uh, buffer us in periods of lower demand. Yeah. So what we focus on, I mean, obviously we have bumper to bumper solutions, mm -hmm. but we really focus on behind the truck. Because if you think five, 10 years out, you know, if everything's autonomous or let's say semi-autonomous, you know, you got to say, is there even going to be an ELD? Is there going to be a need for a rearward facing camera, right? It's like, it's going to be, hey, this autonomous vehicle or autonomous tractor is going to have to hook up to a chassis, going to have to hook up to a trailer or a container. So all those other pieces, parts in, in the chain are what's going to have to know where it's at, know it's in the right status. And by the way, it helps today. You know, if you send a driver waiting is like, it just crushes the system. You know, this driver's okay. waiting, you know, six hours at shippers and constantes. And by the way, this is exacerbating the problem. You take a chassis with a container on it, you take it to the warehouse. And now the, the poor guy's got to sit there for four hours to get in the gate. You know, it's like, that's unacceptable. And then when he does get in, is it a live unload or is it a drop and hook, right? And it's like, is the trailer that he's going to pick up or chassis in the right status? Is it the right location? You know, it's just, that's what we focus on is like, hey, let's make sure when somebody comes into the yard or leaves the yard, number one, they got the right piece of equipment, it's in the right status and it's at the right maintenance level. You know, the worst thing you can do is pull a trailer out and one of the brake lights are out. <laughs> All right, so you get pulled over on the road by the police. So again, I think those help immediately and today. And I would say the value to price point is so much better than it's ever been. The, to getting back to the chassis analogy or the story, it's like they didn't track those before because it didn't quite make economic sense. I think now people are saying, wow, look at the problem we have. You know, I wish I wish I knew where every chassis was right now because we could get them into the ports faster. You know, so that I, I think now you're going to see this, you know, huge uh, move, I think, to technology, because I do think technology and the visibility of your assets, knowing where they are, it's key. And uh, it, even if. You want to look across everybody's assets, ultimately, if we had somebody that could do it in the state of an emergency or a clearinghouse type of situation, you know, you still have to know where they are, you know, where they're at. Yeah, so often is visibility like almost a cliche now, especially in terms of supply yeah. chain. But it, it, it is so crucial and important. I mean, when you're talking about yeah. things like knowing where your assets are, um, how, how else are you going to effectively know how to <laughs> reposition them if you don't know where they are? <laughs> yeah, big, big, big points well, yeah, here. I, well, I just, I, again, I feel for the driver. I mean, my uncle used to be a drayage operator and it's just like, you know, when you go in and out of the port, you go in and out of the railhead, it's like, you know, it's like, you, oh, it's supposed to be over here. No, it's not. Oh, it's blocked in. Right. You know, it's like, uh oh, you know, it's just, you know, half your day is ruined now. So it's like, you know, you and can be out there making have, money. Yeah. And now they actually have ways that you can validate that because you don't get into an argument over the guard right. <laughs> shack letting you in or not, you know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I do think it does give carriers a lot of, uh, you know, power negotiations with shippers and constantes who are delaying or, you know, they're not efficient enough, right? And so you, yeah. you can also help help your shipper and constantee out too, right? Yeah, information is power. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And, and Chris, yeah, exactly. while we have you on, I can't let you go before, while this, this 
questions on my mind. I have to ask a, a lot of you know <laughs> smart folks like yourself here. Um, this question is in your mind when you're looking at the next six months to a year or maybe even longer. Is there an underlying trend that's happening right now that you're kind of seeing? And I think I might know the answer to this that you're seeing right now that no one's really paying attention to that can really cause another major disruption or something that someone's not talking about. Is there anything that's not really getting a lot of uh, spotlight or, or headline attention that's really a potential disruptor or issue that we're not really kind of addressing in the supply chain? Uh, very good, very good point and question. I, I think it's probably going to be. You know, weather disruption, and I—it's—it's it's, because I—I I think we're actually woefully uh, unprepared. You know, like everyone says, "Hey, I'm prepared for a hurricane." Uh, well, you're not prepared for three at a time, and you're <laughs> yeah. not prepared for the I I ninety five to be underwater, right? It's like I—I I think you know, there's like climate change. You look at what's going on in California with the forest fires and things, and it's like, you know, I think as a country, we just there's going to be some major disruptions and right now we're seeing the port disruption. So it's like, we're not handling that very well. So what happens when there's another major disruption and maybe it's outside of our control, you know, like to be honest with you, uh, what's going on in the supply chain is in our control. You know, it's like now we're talking about things that are just, you know, not in our control except for how we react and how we prepare. And I, I do think, uh, you know, we could, as a co country, we just need to be far better prepared. Um, where those things are outside of our control. I mean, that's some deep stuff right there, Chris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of you, you, you're making like a tremendous point here that I think everybody should definitely hear. You, you hear about the climate change stuff and whether or not you, you know, I don't, the politicizing of it is, is crazy to me, but these things are happening. There's, there's weather impacts. I mean, I, I saw New Jersey uh, a few weeks ago when they got flooded out Under, by Hurricane right. Ida that, basically went up the, the coast there and just inundated the area. These events are happening, and especially because we're in more places too. Like the more places yeah. we're in, we're growing as a population, we're gonna have these impacts. So we have to be mindful of how we build out infrastructure, how we uh, you know, manage disasters <laughs> because they're happening more often and we cannot control the weather. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have an influence yeah. over it, but we can't control it. <laughs> Yeah, the only other thing I'd say geopolitically, and you've been seeing it in the news, is the uh, what's going on in Taiwan. You know, I think if people, you know, just I hate to segue totally off of the climate change to something different, but you know, if you think geopolitically, what's going on with the air incursions in uh, Taiwan? You think about how much uh, electronics and goods we get out of Taiwan, and and what a trading partner they are to the whole, you know, like Japan to us to Australia to Europe, uh, and you you just go, you know, that. That could go south in a hurry. And I, th I think, you know, even though you hear about it, I don't think people have really said, you know, what does that mean? You know, and, th and that to me could could have major repercussions if, uh, you know, we're not all taking that very seriously. Now that's a great call out, especially with the amount of control they have over a lot of our electronic supply chain there. Uh, well, Chris, right. thank you so much. As <laughs> usual, you have been a bounty of information. Uh, where can people... <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, where, where can people find out more about PowerFleet and, and what you do? Okay. Appreciate it. Nice seeing you guys again. Perfect. Take care. All right. <laughs> well, you can go to <laughs> PowerFleet.com uh, to find more about their, what they do there. They're yes. doing a, the Lord's work with the technology, the they supply do. chain visibility tools and things like that. Uh, Chris obviously knows his stuff. He's had He's bounced around the industry and he knows so much about everything. He's kind of like 
I, I don't want to say jack of all because that implies master of none, but because <laughs> he, he knows, I think he knows he's a master of several things, uh, especially regarding that information. So uh, big takeaway there, Anthony, what did you, what was your, what was your big takeaway from Chris's speak before, as we wind the show down? Uh, I think preparing for those things that we can't control. So that was yeah. huge. Um, that mm -hmm. chassis call out was huge. So yep. between those two, I think really, I think maybe just small points for him, but I think there were huge topics that could really kind of get a deep dive in and of himself. Yeah, I, I think that this, we keep coming back to these like small visibility solutions that are, that I, I say they're small, but they're huge. They're, they're small things that we can do and they make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, they're so efficient and I'm a man of efficiency. Uh, and, and again, the technology has got to get a little bit more, uh, I think, focus here as we, you know, we encounter these problems. We can't wait on them to happen all the time to, to his point with the, uh, the environmental stuff. Um, we tend to be reactionary as a society. Uh, when it becomes a problem, that's when we start to really tackle it. Um, hopefully we, we learn a little bit of a lesson here and start to, to prepare for some of these things, but I don't know what's coming next to you. <laughs> of course I do. I'm an economist. It's oh. my job. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, that's uh, not being able, being prepared yeah. is huge and uh, really prepping for these unexpected events. I think that great call out there because yeah. I was thinking he was going to go along the, the chassis route, which was another great call out, but he surprised me and gave us some more gems there. He's like a uh, clumsy king just dropping gems all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> but we're coming up on the end of our show, Zach. We have debates. I asked debates. the production crew in, in there in the control room. They got nothing for us today. So nothing. I'm going to come down a few of these here. Isaiah. What's the best month of the year? Best month of the year? Oh, for me, it's June. So I, summertime. I, I'm, well, it's, it's before it gets scorching hot. And, you know, I can enjoy some of that spring kind of stuff. And it's not raining all the time type deal down here. And again, that it obviously depends on where you live in the country. But for me, it's June, it's where things are going. But I can't, I can't discount mid-September to mid-October. The hotter, the better. Long I, answer. I, I, I don't like it cold, I, but <laughs> mid-September to mid-October, uh, it's football time yeah. down here. I love sports, obviously, but they, I mean, the weather is pristine. Mm -hmm. uh, so if it's between the two, but June, I can sit out on the patio consistently, have my beverage, if every day was August, that would be fine. Mm -hmm. A next one from the control room, Best Little Debbie. Best Little Debbie, the Christmas tree cake. Would you have that year round? Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Uh, okay. I mean, the Christmas tree cake is undeniable. Uh, I mean, you could, I guess there could be an argument for Swiss cake rolls, but mm. you don't even like food, so. I love food. Um, do they, <laughs> they have honey buns, right? Yeah. Yeah, honey buns. Uh, Fudge rounds. Like basic. I mean, Fudge rounds. I can the get a honey bun pecan from rolls. <laughs> What's that? I can get a honey bun from anywhere. You can, but the pecan rolls. Um, chocolate ice cream better than vanilla? Yes or no? Yes. Chocolate. False. Vanilla bean is the best ice cream. Chocolate is better. A little roundup for, for our debate. Thank you for watching this week. And everyone, be sure to check us out on FreightWaves TV uh, app and FreightCasts. Uh, download us on podcast players everywhere. Have a oh, great week. We have tv.freightwaves.com. We have our new launch. So we have a new OTT. Check us out there on tv.prairies.com. Thank you all so much for being active in the LinkedIn. Drink more water.